0: Hi everyone, Sam here. Thank you so much for listening to The Policy Dispatch. Before we dive in, if you want to enjoy premium access to the podcast and want to read or listen to the unmissable and informative journalism from Foresight Climate and Energy, make sure to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for less than €1 a day, which will give you access to our website and app. Just follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Policy Dispatch. I'm your host Sam Morgan, here to guide you through the weird and wonderful world of the energy transition. This week we're going to be delving into the murky realm of agriculture and examining its impact on climate change, the policies that govern the sector and what surprising factors are linked to farming. To better understand manure management, crop rotations, pesticide problems and cow burps, I've turned to one of my journalist colleagues that has been covering the beat for a number of years. I met up with Gerardo Fortuna at the European Council in Brussels to chat all things agri. So here we are, with Gerardo Fortuna finally, to talk all about agriculture and its link with the energy transition. Thank you for joining me, Gerardo.
1: Thanks for having me. Um, it's actually a pleasure. It's my uh, second most favorite podcast after my own, own. But
0: uh, yeah, thanks. We'll do a plug at the end, don't you worry. Yeah. Uh, just before we start, I'd love to include you in what has become now a policy dispatch institution. It's the small matter of our quiz question, which we ask every episode before the episode begins. I ask the listeners a piece of related trivia and then withhold the answer, of course, until the end of the show in a cunning bid to make sure that people actually listen to what we have to say. And this week, you are also going to answer this question or attempt to. Uh, Don't say the answer if you know it. We'll come back to it at the end, okay? So according to the EU's Environment Agency, 14 EU countries increased their emissions between 2005 and 2020. 13 reduced them by varying degrees, of course. Which country increased its emissions by the biggest percentage? Was it A, Latvia, B, Estonia, C, Hungary, or D, Bulgaria? Which of those increased its emissions by the most? And I will graciously grant you an additional bonus point, which is worth a lot in this process, if you can tell me which country reduced emissions by the most. So I guess we can kick off, we'll get straight into it. We're going to be talking about agriculture emissions today. Um, where do agricultural emissions actually come from? What are the sources? When we talk about other things like power generation, it's always yeah. CO2. Is that the case in this sector or
1: not? It's actually interesting to think about that uh, when we, for instance, when we talk about greenhouse emission, you know, uh, we can say that the, I mean, yeah, yeah, greenhouse Comes from the agricultural vocabulary, so we can also say that uh, the first contribution to climate change of agriculture is a purely lexical one. But <laughs> uh, besides this consideration, uh, we actually have at least two types of emissions when it comes to agriculture: um, farm gate emissions and land use related emissions, which are basically uh, emissions generated by the conversion of non-agricultural land into agricultural land. Uh, so it's uh, because it's one side of the deforestation process for instance and it affects particularly third countries. Uh, but let's say that altogether agriculture, forestry and land use uh, contribute between 13 and 21 of global greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions. Of course there are uh, different uh, um, estimates so it's uh, it's good to to give at least a fork. Uh, you, you were mentioning actually CO2 emission, and, uh, and there are certain agricultural practices that uh, cause CO2 emission, uh, such as, uh, for instance, tilling of fields, or also, I mean, there's also fuel use on farm implicated. Uh, it's also interesting when, when it comes to tilling. Tilling is this conventional way of preparing the soil by uh, for planting uh by digging, uh, stirring, uh, turning it over and and it, it basically kills unwanted plants uh and allows for easier planting uh and it's also quite costly and time consuming and it affects the soil uh, quality because it it lowers the, the quality of soil and, and because it causes this soil uh, compactation and erosion and and there's also there's also so- something called conservation agriculture that actually aims to uh, you know the so-called no-tilling farming, and it's curious that actually no-tilling requires—I mean, doesn't require—but the treatment with glyphosate-based herbicides helps no-tilling practices. So basically, I mean, glyphosate is a, is a controversial active substance used in very uh, spread pesticides, and uh, it's interesting to to see this link with all the controversial aspects uh, because actually. Uh, something that could help reducing CO two emission. It also have an implication when it comes to um, other very controversial aspects. That's a big trade off. Yeah, indeed, It's uh, agriculture. Is, it's uh, it's the sector with the high, it's my personal opinion with the highest uh, number of trade offs, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when it comes to um, uh, climate change. Uh, but anyway. I'd say that CO2 emission, uh, apart from certain practices, are mostly caused by actually shipping, so transport, Mm -hmm. logistics, and so on. Uh, The lion's share of the agricultural emission uh, is actually methane and uh, nitrous oxide emissions. Uh, So uh, basically, uh, methane uh, comes from... uh, how can I say it, uh, enteric fermentation, and... Uh, and uh, he means cow uh, Yeah. General, <laughs> yeah. Also, kind of oh, <laughs> manure management. I really like manure management as a, as a term. Sounds it's, like an indie band, Indeed, or, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and also nitrous, uh, nitrous oxide emission comes from uh, basically soils. And uh, even here, uh, it's better to have a fork. Um, they account for more, uh, for some say it's 65, others say 80% of total agricultural uh, emissions 80 81 80% in uh, in Europe according to the environmental agency and um yeah meeting me, we were talking about, uh, you you mentioned uh, cow burps. and um, there was actually uh, a vote in in the European parliament this week on uh, but it's on uh, just related to the energy sector yeah. Uh but actually li- livestock sector is, is one of the worst uh, the world most significant contributor uh, of uh, methane, uh which is a greenhouse gas. Uh very potent. Very potent, short-lived but very potent. Uh it has more heat trapping power than carbon dioxide. Uh actually 84 times more heat uh, over 20 years. This is the uh the comparison. And uh, yeah, of course, the, the biggest source of methane in terms of human-related activities is uh, enteric fermentation, which gassy emissions from uh, uh, ruminant animals such as dairy and, and beef cattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's also linked as uh, it's also linked to livestock manure ma- management eh? because it uh, is a process that produces uh, several gases. Mm-hmm. And uh, even even stirring the manure, see what what a very a good image that I'm uh, giving to your listeners, uh, you know, to hom- homogenize the manure. A complex smelly exactly. sector. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is the point here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's, it's not all uh, about the cows, no. because, for instance, the right sector um, accounts for 20% of the human related methane emissions, because uh, uh, microbes underwater in, in paddy fields uh, emit gas. Mm-hmm. So also the rice uh, sector, uh, so we, we're in the, in, in the field of actually normal uh, crops like cereal crop. Um, it's interesting that the most recent initiative to, ta- to tackle this kind of, init- of emissions, like methane emission uh, have been taken in Glasgow in 2021 and during the COP21 there was the Global Methane Pledge. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting initiative because it's led by the US and the EU. Uh, they gathered together more than 100 countries. Uh, combined, they account for almost 50% of global methane emissions. Uh, they also represent 70% of the world economy. The, uh, included, there are also several cattle-rich countries like Brazil, Canada, uh, Argentina, New Zealand, of course. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, some countries with high methane emissions uh, opted to remain out. From this commitment, again, it's a, it's a commitment in the in the um, realm of uh, you know the 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 COP uh, uh, twenty six, and and we're talking about China, India, uh, but also Australia and uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. But apart from geopolitical aspects, it's interesting this pledge because it focuses uh, mostly on technical measures. So uh, it relies on innovation to. Deliver the expected cut,
0: so plugging gas pipelines or you know changing what cows are filling with. instead of yes. Getting rid of cows or getting rid yeah, of gas
1: pipelines. Th- that's that's the point. That's yeah. actually the the actual point. I mean, from the policy perspective, um, it mostly relies on feed supplement innovation in feed supplements mm. uh, because, according to the United Nations, this could cut emission in the sector by twenty uh, wow. percent a year until twenty thirty. And uh, just to give a flavor of how innovation in the feed sector, uh, in livestock feed sector, uh, is important. It's not that common that the commission uh, accompanies um, certain approval of uh, substances with a statement by the commissioner. And that's what happened when uh, the EU uh, approved this first kind of... uh, additive uh, produced by a Dutch company that aims at suppressing the enzyme that triggers methane production in, uh, in uh, a cow's room. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it says that uh, it reduces approximately 30% of uh, uh, enteric methane emission for dairy cows and even 90% for beef cows. Uh, it was, uh, it's actually it's a Dutch company, but it was first approved in Brazil. And uh, and then the European Commission also, um, I mean, first there was the scientific assessment of EFSA, mm-hmm. the the food safety agency.
0: How it affects the meat that people initially eat, then. Or...
1: Indeed, mm. and uh, they also they also task with the animal health, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, all the all the approval in the animal health, and um, then the commission, uh, once the scientific assessment from EFSA was positive, uh, it was in February. Last year it was 2022 in February. Uh, and, uh, as I said, it's not that common that the commission, uh, comments on something like that. And mm-hmm. there was even a comment from Kira Kida saying that this is, a is the a, health
0: commission.
1: Yeah, well. yeah. Health and food safety commission. Mm-hmm. So she's also overseeing on EFSA's, uh, main tasks. Um she basically uh, underlines the impact on the Farm to Fork commitment and also the Global Methane uh, Pledge, mm-hmm. which, as I said, it was uh, mostly led by both the US and the EU. So the EU is, is, is investing uh, a lot. As you said, uh, the I mean, uh, the other side of this uh, methane cut uh, is uh, actually our, our habits, our uh, eating habits, because... Uh, um, we can the other way to reduce meat and emission is uh by reducing meat consumption uh this is a very
0: very tricky area to get into though isn't yeah. it, because as soon as mm-hmm. the European Commission, for example, starts saying people have to eat less meat, you have headlines saying bureaucrats want to take away your yeah. stakes and you know this is a complex issue then
1: and i can sense that this could be the light motive in, in our discussion today mm. a bit of uh, this is very sensitive because mm. we i mean I'm, I'm covering agriculture it's a, a very nice beat uh, when you have, when you want to do pun or jokes but you can uh, perceive the how sensitive mm-hmm. it could be because it's about constituencies like we've seen with uh, we, we recently see the EPP betting on farmers for the next few elections mm-hmm. in the conference uh, um, in uh, of the EPP last week uh, there was a, a strong commitment to represent farmers at the moment it's the, the largest political group in the European Parliament uh, so it's not only about electoral votes but it's also about uh, you know some kind of um, set sensitive aspects in common new citizens. We've seen the rise of uh, uh, gastro-nationalism, I really love this word, in, uh, in Italy, but also in France, and uh, it's becoming a bit of um, a common trait in, um, in uh, far-right or right-wing government. Uh, they realize that uh, food or tradition in general, but food tradition uh, can bring to, food tradition linked to certain uh, food, uh, agriculture practices mm-hmm. as well. People oh, care about it. Indeed. And they can bring together, um, these, uh, voters, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because of this uh, topic. So, uh, for sure it is, it would be hard to have such, uh, such commitments at the UN level, but even at the EU level. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, reducing methane emissions uh, through uh, basic innovation is one thing, reducing through changing habits is another one. It's a more
0: complex thing. I mean, if we're talking about sensitive, complex issues at the moment, there's nothing more complex or sensitive than the Ukraine war, the Russians invasion of Ukraine at the moment. If we look at it from an energy transition point of view, we've seen energy emission or well, emissions from the energy sector from the industrial sectors reducing in europe because of various policies and you know supply chains moving people using renewable energy instead because we want to get off russian hydrocarbons is this a similar situation in the agricultural sector um because we are in this situation at the moment where there there was a lot of concern about there not being enough food to go around then there was too much food then there was the food in the wrong place, grains and things from Ukraine. Essentially, what impact is Russia's invasion having on this particular topic that we're talking about today?
1: Uh, it's, it's a very good question because uh, it touch on uh, different aspects. Uh, because I mean, I have, for instance, I have this personal theory about the uh, the current issue, the current situation with the grain ban. Uh, we know that uh, certain countries, uh, certain eastern, inter- eastern countries, uh, neighboring Ukraine, uh, have actually um, banned uh, or actually stopped the um, entry into application of certain aspect of, the, of uh, this new agreement that uh, is, I mean, will have to scrap the quota and tariffs between Ukraine and the EU. Uh, and, uh, and to be fair, the situation that has been created, I think that it's, uh, it's an agricultural crisis. Of course, it's a commodity crisis, but it's also, uh, very much linked to the current situation in the, in the internal transport market. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, what happened, I'm, I'm trying to summarize the very complex situation, but, um, there was this initiative by the commission, um, which is called solidarity lanes, green corridors, uh, helping Ukraine exporting uh, certain agricultural commodities, mostly oil seeds or uh, maize and wheat, mm-hmm. uh, because they uh, uh, the Russians blocked the uh, Black Sea ports. Uh, there has been a, um, an, an agreement, uh, an international uh, international agreement, uh, uh, but still the Black Sea ports are not. That I mean, I use, but uh, it's a bit like I mean, it's been renewed basically every three six months, so it's not really good in terms of uh, you know uh, long No. So um, they put together this solidarity lanes initiative. So basically, helping Ukraine exporting through uh, neighboring countries in the in Europe. And uh, surprisingly, it worked. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Always interesting to see yeah. in when something actually works.
1: It worked because it was at, uh, at the beginning, there was this issue of different standards, you No, know? even uh, rail standards, be- the, the, the standards in Ukraine weren't the same mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in Poland, and so they had to basically uh, load the, the, the commodities from one train to another. Yeah was a bit complicated at the beginning, but then it it, it proved to to work. And uh, what happened is that what is not working is the internal transport market. So this grain is stuck in Poland uh, uh, because they can even manage to move it from Poland to other Western countries of the European Union, and actually had this... uh, uh, exchange with a very senior official from DG Move during a technical brie- uh, briefing, and uh, the experts said, I, I quote here, we don't have the fully built modern European transport network, especially when it comes to rail. Uh, and um, this, this, as well as some previous situation, have shown the insufficient capacity of our railway railway networks. End of the quote. Yeah. So we can say that this is something that the Commission has been working for decades. You know the uh, four rail, railway packages, uh, the Year of Rails, uh, and get three. as much
0: freight onto railways as possible. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh and then and still we uh, a fully functioning internal transport market, market is still far from being finalized and and uh, the US keep building it. So uh again it's it's not really the uh the answer to your question but it's like um even current situation that are perceived as agricultural or uh, related to uh food security mm-hmm. uh they they Pretty much linked to other aspects uh, mm-hmm. that sometimes I mean it's a bit of an untold story. It's one of the uh, crises in the internal transport market uh, related to, of course, the uh, issue with the uh, grain ban, Grain bans. To answer your question, uh, we haven't seen, to be fair, the reduction of uh, emissions um, in the aftermath in the aftermath of the Ukraine war. Uh, it's also to. Uh, even during the pandemic, because uh, um, actually the food supply were quite uh, safe, let's say, mm-hmm. despite this uh, scaremongering on uh, food security. Um, Ongoing
0: scaremongering on food security. Yeah, we
1: just mentioned the, <laughs> the EPP uh, electoral campaign. Um, what is what might change? Uh, it's it's also. Um, a, a, a different consideration, as I said, of what uh, um, what involve uh, uh, emissions of the agricultural sector. Again, we're still talking about agricultural sector, but we have to consider um, a bit like enlarge this, the scope of uh, the policy and consider this is what, for instance, the farm-to-fork uh, strategy for, by the commission uh, is trying to do, and consider the food system, because mm-hmm. a, 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 as we were... Uh, uh, talking uh, about before. Um, there's also the, the, the shipping uh, emission. There are, there's also the, um, it's, it's not only about the, and even in terms of production, agriculture is just one, of, one side of the production. There's also the food manufacturing process, for mm-hmm. instance. Uh, there's, uh, maybe we can talk about this later, um, the production of inputs for agriculture. The fertilizer production is one of the uh, most interesting and also most, most problematic uh, when it comes to when it comes to emissions, but also uh, when it comes to possibility uh, to actually contribute to the transition because for, uh, because of the hyd- hydrogen stocking power.
0: Hi everyone, Sam here again. Just wanted to remind you and maybe your colleagues as well that premium access to the pod and Foresight's brilliant journalism, is just a click away. Try a subscription for 30 days for just €29. Euros. That gives you access to our website and audio app. Go to wwwforesightdkcom forward slash subscribe, or follow the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show. I mean, and then we can even get onto like a really complex discussion about um, consumption emissions. Like, Who is responsible Indeed. for these emissions? Is it the people... Put it on their plates? Is it the people producing it in factories? I guess it's another, it's just yet another example of all of these different sectors that we talk about not really being sectors. They're all interlinked. Indeed. I mean, you were saying about shipping, you know, we've seen all these different initiatives to get more freight onto inland waterways and barges and things. You know, it, it seems pretty simple to load up lots of barges near Ukraine with grain and ship them into Western Europe. But you get to a position where, is that feasible because of um, the infrastructure there? Is it feasible through costs in the summer? all the rivers are probably going to be a lot lower because of climate change? so would yeah. it even be possible? Um, it's all rather interlinked, and you can't have a decent conversation without these things without considering five or six other issues which which makes our job very interesting, I suppose, but also quite complex to
1: but as I, as I said again it, it... It was a bit neglected when it was presented, the farm to fox strategy, but it goes into the right direction. It was neglected because they basically proposed, uh, I don't remember up to 40 initiatives in, uh, to do in 10 years. Uh, most of them very controversial, like the sustainable use, the revision of the sustainable use of pesticide, mm-hmm. uh, uh, regulation. But, uh, the idea at the basis of this, uh, uh, political ambition is the right one, like, For the past seventy years, I mean, the common, for instance, the common agricultural policies was one of the first uh, uh, in in the the, one of the first EU policies. Uh, The focus has always been on productivity uh, because we were uh, getting out of a war. We had actual food food security issues. Food security is still a problem. Mm -hmm. It's it. I, I think that food security it's. Can be interpreted in many ways, and uh, a different shade of food security is still a problem. Uh, But um, uh, the concept of greening the common agricultural policy, for instance, is very recent. Like we had it in the in the previous uh, program, in the previous uh, at at the the half of the previous program, we started thinking about the greening of uh, the common agricultural policy, and also the eco schemes. Uh, which is the new way of greening the agricultural policy in mm. the current uh, uh in the current pro- program just started in january uh again we're still talking about something started in january no so it's uh it's also um, there's this shift toward a different way to intend food production not only as mm. you know agriculture and uh, manufacture food manu- uh, food manufacturing and so on.
0: I mean, if we we sort of shift to the regulations that Europe has in place or the directives, legislation that actually show a pathway towards these emissions coming down. I mean, if you look at the data across the board, agricultural emissions aren't really going anywhere. They're staying at a certain level. Some countries are reducing them through some sort of programs. Others are increasing them. And you get to this point where they're making no difference. Um, What particular legislation does the EU have to... Reduce emissions, basically.
1: It's mostly the effort sharing regulation, So, but uh, particularly for, I mean, effort sharing is for non-CO2 greenhouse emissions uh, because of this big chunk of them, yeah. it's
0: cow burbs and soils.
1: Yeah, and also so yeah, but we haven't talked about. But also, nitrous ox- uh, oxide uh, is quite relevant. It's also very. Um, it's linked to the use of fertilizer, mm. because I mean, this this emission is caused by these microbes in uh, in soil and of course if you feed this microbe with uh, fertilizer they increase yeah and uh, and you can't uh, handle uh, this emission uh, in in a normal way it's also for instance is the basis of the could be considered the basis of the current uh, political issue in, in the Netherlands because uh, the, the the infamous or uh, <laughs> notorious uh, um party of Dutch farmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's being created in reaction to uh the the plans from the Dutch government to slash nitrogen emissions by 50%.
0: Court-ordered plan as yeah.
1: well. Yeah. And uh it's linked to your uh, regulation on nitrate pollution, but this regulation is more linked to water. Mm. Uh but technically it's it's mostly a way to uh, force many livestock farms uh, either to downsides or 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 even close um again there's also a big transition in the in the business plans of these uh, farmers yeah. um in general in Europe the the, the traditional farming uh, system is also changing there's a lot of concentration uh it's 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 uh, it's a system that is evolving huh? And, um, yeah, basically, I can say effort sharing regulation. For instance, farming has always been, uh, carbon markets for farming has always been a taboo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, even in the, in the ETS, the fisheries and, uh, and, um, and agriculture, they're still excluded. There was, um, uh, the rapporteur from the parliament who said, who, who talked about, Again, a sensitive issue. No? Mm-hmm. Immediately after the agreement, uh, the the exemption of uh, of agriculture is also linked to um, yes, to basically political sensi- sensitiveness. Let's say mm-hmm. uh, there there are some other attempts to not to regulate but to. Uh, for instance, this, this is what the Industrial Emission Directive, the reform of the Industrial Emission Directive is trying to do. It was a proposal by the Commission in April, uh, in April uh, last April actually, April mm-hmm. 2022. It's basically I'm aiming to reduce the harmful emission coming from industrial installation. So
0: the question is... What's an industrial installation? Yeah,
1: indeed. And, uh, and our agriculture uh, installation to be considered. in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, To be fair, it's already like this because the directive already covers a very small number of livestock farms, uh, which is about 4% of the EU pig and poultry farms. At the moment, cattle is excluded by the, the current industrial emission directive. So what the commission wants to do uh, is to um, adapt this framework and expand it to a large and larger portion of uh, of livestock, livestock sectors.
0: So kind of like they are done with the ETS, where they these things.
1: And... Indeed, indeed. And, uh, and it's all about this concept of, uh, you know, livestock units. So basically, uh, the directive will cover all industrial farms uh, with more than 150 livestock units. Uh-huh. So how to con, uh, What's I mean, a unit? <laughs> uh, what does it mean? Uh, one unit is basically, the grazing equivalent of one adult dairy cow producing 3,000 kilograms of milk annually.
0: Good lord, okay.
1: <laughs> so according to this calculation, um, I'm, I'm quoting here the commission, 150 livestock units are 150 adult cows, of course, 375 uh, calves, and 10,000 laying hens, 500 pigs. So,
0: so these uh, are big farms. They're see, talking about.
1: and 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 if you and uh, there's also a huge clash between uh, two different interests. This is another interesting trend because uh, we've been used of having agricultural minister dealing with this stuff
0: as logic would dictate. I suppose. Indeed,
1: uh, most of these topics nowadays are actually dealt by. Um, environmental ministers and environmental MEPs. Hmm. You think about it, the pesticide the reduction uh, plan from the Commission uh, is under food safety, so it's actually under the MV committee in the European Parliament, and uh, it's a matter for uh, environmental ministers in the council. So uh, this is uh, this is also quite interesting uh, and this led both uh, agricultural lawmakers in the European Parliament and agricultural minister in asking for more uh, involvement, at mm-hmm. least in this kind of uh, legislative processes. The Industrial Emission Directive is the same, because uh, uh, it's uh, a matter for environmental ministers in the council and MEPs in the environmental committee at the European Parliament. So
0: and It's interesting that, the, that this shift has been going on. I mean, it's the same with energy, I guess, over indeed. the years, when energy used to be you know, the kingmakers, didn't they? And now environment climate ministers have more and more say over what happened.
1: And it's also linked to the fact that dealing with agriculture at a level is moving, it's shifting toward, like I mean, from uh, disbursing money, giving direct uh, payment to farmers, mm-hmm. to actually give rules to uh, you know, regulate farming practices. And, um, it's something that could be sorted out in the future. If even the competences of DG Agri, which is the service, the commission service dealing with uh, this stuff, which at the, at the moment, DG Agri only deals with the common agricultural policy mm-hmm. this basically. If they enlarge their competences, for instance, considering a DG food or something yeah. like that, that also embraces, for instance, food safety aspects, which, uh, now are, uh, um, it's digisant uh, dealing with uh, the health department yeah mm. uh, so that means pesticides for instance pesticides mm. it's a uh, digisant uh, this is also why the health commissioner uh, is having a say on this mm.
0: so um, again it's, it's we're continuing to paint this picture of um, they not really being in a agriculture sector it's little bits of other sectors, kind of stapled together in a in a way. It's it's it's, it's because, hard to nail down.
1: yeah, it's, it's because agriculture is a very solid uh, concept when we when we assess the impact of sectors of sectors. Not only on climate change, uh, for instance, when we talk about GDPs or uh, mm. uh, employment and so on, uh, but it's true. And and this is enshrined in now the, the way we see agriculture. We see the food that we eat. uh, In the policy-making uh, uh, realm, we are moving toward a different way to conceive food. Uh, It it started already one decade ago, but now we're actually seeing that uh, if we don't adjust, for instance, the legislative process, uh, legislative-making process, uh, it could lead to this kind of situation in which uh, some policymakers are consider themselves a bit more. uh, marginalized, for instance, and so on.
0: Oh, we you mentioned earlier about fertilizers, and I, I guess this takes me on nicely to... I seem to always ask a question about CBAM in these podcasts mm. now. I mean, it, it's something that um, fascinates everyone, including myself. Um, this mm. is the carbon border adjustment mechanism that the EU has now approved. It's going to impose a tariff on certain imports to the EU that don't fulfill certain green criteria. I feel like I've explained this the exact same way about 20 <laughs> different times now. Um, is agriculture going to be affected by this? I mean, you have steel, you've got iron, you've got cement. There's other products as well. Um, electricity. There was a big talk about fertilizers being included. Um, what happened in the end?
1: Yeah, um, okay. First of all, agricultural products are not included no. um, in this uh, In this carbon levy. What is included is uh, what you were talking about uh, fertilizer. Now, fertilizer is a very complex topic, it's super interesting, very complex. There's a huge interrelation between, uh, uh, for, because of fertilizer, there's a, this, this huge interrelation between uh, farming and, for instance, global energy prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, global energy prices have knock on effects on agricultural products. Because of uh, because of fertilizer because of inputs mostly, mm-hmm. uh, the most affected ones are the nitrogen-based fertilizer. We, we know that there are different uh, uh, components for fertilizer. Uh, there was uh, the one that we banned from ba- Belarus, the potash one. But we were talking about the nitrogen-based fertilizer, and gas prices account for up to eighty percent of the variable costs in their production. Wow. So. Of course, this led to a parallel increase in the in uh, in also in other in other uh, uh, fertilizers mm. like the potash one or uh, the phosphate uh, based ones, because of uh, you know the the common economic law. No? I'm
0: starting, to, be, I'm starting yeah. to understand what inflation is now yeah. <laughs> almost.
1: <laughs> and um, and of course, this affected particularly the field crops because they they require a very large. Um, I mean a very large share of their their input cost is uh, is accounted by fertilizer. So um this inclusion of CBAM, of fertilizer in CBAM is considered to have a significant impact on uh, on these farmers particularly this is this is the stand of, stance of the EU fertilizer companies. Uh, that's why for instance there was um um uh, an amendment uh at the proposed by the agriculture committee uh which was actually trying to uh actually include a future expan- expan- expansion of seabum in uh, for agricultural products too eh? mm-hmm. but this move has been seen has uh, always been seen a bit like a a protectionist way to approach to
0: so this would be if you're importing grain Indeed. into the well okay that's that's a complex See, uh, kind I mean, of it was It was a scrap. Or, it yeah. was a scrap.
1: But um, of course, I mean, as we were saying, the, the, this uh, carbon border adjustment mechanism uh, will apply to foreign competitors uh, unless they enforce comparable measures mm-hmm. to lower, lower emissions on the industry covered by the levy. So it's... Um, um, for fertilizer companies, this uh, deal with will basically make uh, the price skyrocket further because there was already an issue even before the invasion of Ukraine, uh, with certain type of fertilizer. And, uh, and the risk is that, uh, fer- the farmers will make use of imported, uh, uh, products. Uh, uh, but even in terms of food production, this could make more attractive food coming from uh, third countries. Mm-hmm. We, uh, so,
0: so you would just get the food from there instead of the, the things that are basically. Basically. You basically,
1: right. basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about it, in September 2022, the fertilized prices uh, were, uh, were uh, skyrocketing as much as uh, 149% compared to the, the previous year. So yeah, this is the, the, the main issue at the moment when it comes to CBAM and, and agriculture, which is the uh, connection uh, through fertiliser. You know? Even if you don't, uh, uh, if they don't affect agricultural products, they still affect through inputs. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I really look forward to when CBAM is you know fully operational. All of these uh, known unknowns, the unknown unknowns, all revealing themselves because it. We've said it before, this is all interlinked, and it seems to be that some policymakers either don't understand that or do understand it, but realize there's not a lot they can do about it, basically. Uh, we have to halt it there, unfortunately, because we only have a certain amount of time with our policy dispatch. We're an agile product, as you know. We get to the the detail of the matter. Um, But of course, there is one small matter that we have to take care of. Uh, it's the quiz question, I asked you about as well. This is the first listeners that the guest has been involved in in the quiz answering as well. It's going to
1: be a huge failure. No, no,
0: no, no. I have I have every faith in you. I asked you which EU country increased its emissions the most between 2005 and 2020. Was it Latvia, Estonia, Hungary, or Bulgaria? And what do you think the answer is, Gerardo Fortuna? Uh,
1: this is uh I'm not super desperate of Latvian agriculture, that's why. Uh, I tend to say Hungary.
0: Oh, he said Hungary. He said Hungary. And it's Estonia. It's Estonia. Estonia is number one. I believe mostly through the land use change
1: aspect Ah, of emissions. And
0: also they have switched to a lot of biomethane and biogas production. So I guess that is interlinked. It goes Estonia with about 30% increase. Then Latvia, then Bulgaria, then Hungary. Um, what about you? Can redeem yourself here with the bonus point. The,
1: the bonus point. Bonus, bonus
0: point. Which of the EU countries decreased their emissions the most over that? The if bonus
1: point here. is harder than the. <laughs> i haven't given you. Well,
0: you know which four they aren't. So you have to. So have, uh, you have to use yeah, all of your EU logic the,
1: now. Mm, this is hard. This is hard.
0: Is it is Spain. It's not Spain. <laughs> Spain. It's not Spain. It's Malta. Is Malta. Malta. So yeah, the the country that has decreased emissions the most is Malta. I don't quite understand why. Is it because they don't have any agriculture? Yeah. <laughs> or, so yeah, about 20%. 20%, years, 20%. And they aim to be 30% uh, by 2030, which they should be applauded for, I suppose. Oh, actually,
1: yeah. so when they file the... You know, the, you have to do some national plan for common agricultural policy. There's actually... Some, um, some kind of uh, farming there.
0: So I assume when you go to Malta, there aren't cow burps or rice paddy fields. No, no, so no, no, no. They have an advantage already. Yeah. Gerardo, thank you so much for joining us and talking about uh, agriculture emissions. Um, I think it's pretty obvious from what we've talked about that it's very complex. It's very interlinked with everything else. And most of all, it can be quite smelly. Based on what was discussed in today's episode, I think you could definitely make the argument that agriculture is potentially the most difficult sector to decarbonise and scrub of greenhouse gases. Unlike the power and transport sectors, where rolling out enough renewable energy will get most of the job done, farming is going to require a lot of different solutions to go green. My thanks once again to Gerardo for joining me for today's show. If you'd like to get more updates on what is going on in the world of agriculture, then do check out the AgriFood podcast, which he co-hosts over so at You're Active, and there's going to be a link in the show notes. I'll be back next time with another guest to talk about another fascinating piece of the energy transition puzzle. In the meantime, do check out foresightdk.com for details about the latest magazine, as well as links to the latest episodes of the What Matters and Energy Enablers podcasts. See you next time.